Hey, this is Jack Morrissey with episode 43 of Team Jack uh, on Smodcast.com and iTunes. Uh, episode 43, we have with us Matt Cohen as ever. Hello. Uh, at Camel Toad on Twitter. And joining us after many, many, many months of delays, okay. our semi-faithful listener. Less is that accurate? Let's not go crazy about the, <laughs> about, about the delays. I mean, about the delays. I, I was a little under the weather, along with forty percent of Los Angeles currently. Right. Yeah. right. But I'm here no, now. No, we've been trying for this for a while. Yeah. No, I've I wanted was, to do it for a while. You remember we probably the last time we had dinner, yeah. Sunset Plaza. For those of you who care, <laughs> what was the restaurant? <laughs> Believe me, there are there are people who sort of like gain, or sort of um. Part of what they like about this podcast is that um, we do talk about like where the dry cleaning gets done in Los Angeles or right. whatnot. Dry cleaning to the stars. Right, exactly. Um, like in Sunset Plaza is is really I think means almost nothing to locals anymore. Like maybe it, it did at one time, but now it feels to me. I actually sort of live pretty close to it. Right, almost entirely tourist. But when I first right. lived here and I went out to eat at one of those sidewalk restaurants on Sunset Plaza, right, I had arrived. I was right. I had made it. You know, <laughs> there's something a little Mediterranean about it, right? Yeah, absolutely, right. and a little developed. And we ate but at Cafe Med. Yeah. Cafe Med, Cafe Med, I think ate? is where we ate. Yeah, I never eat there. I don't. You have eat to there eat either. there because Chris Rice only eats within walking distance of his fabulous, you know what, uh, rooftop Wayne Bruce Wayne esque. Um, what do you call it? Penthouse. It's what a, is it? It is a it is a three level penthouse. Pardon and me. And my friend refers to it as the Mayan temple atop. Some French building from the 30s, French Regency, I should say. Right. And it's sort of like Cafe Med and Sunset Plaza are on the edge of walking distance from where I live. But it's, I like to say, like, I live in a really beautiful redone apartment that's in a building where everything is breaking. And the elevator ride, if, if I do it with somebody who's never done it before, is always really amusing because the, really? the elevator trembles and shakes. And, Does it really? Yeah. And, and, and their faces wow. go pale. And I've done it so many times, I forget what they're reacting to. And I go, oh, right. This is a horrifying elevator. The Tower, yeah, um, it's fun. Elevator of Terror, whatever the hell it's called. Right, what's it called? Tower of Terror. Tower of Terror. Absolutely. Right, right. Um, Chris, if you want to, um, people out here, listeners who are interested in meeting and/or stalking <laughs> and/or kidnapping for very various and sundry purposes. Um, Chris Rice can literally look at one of about six restaurants within <laughs> a two or three block radius Not as where many. he takes his dinner every night. Not as many because they're all closing. Like I had, yeah. I had a California pizza kitchen, which is a, a very exclusive chain. If it has never heard of them, it's exclusive to California and the pizzas are no, very high. And I know it's not a okay. lion, <laughs> but I'm I had like, it like literally about? right next door to me and it was the lowest performing California pizza kitchen in the country. I think and right. they closed it. Right. And I was emotionally destroyed Devastated. for weeks because yeah. so attached to those servers I mean, and yeah, even the cooks, even the cooks I did you'd run into when they were just finishing up in the restroom and hopefully washing their hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and now I go into California pizza kitchens and other parts of Los Angeles and the staff members, <laughs> was that a gun being cocked? I didn't no. realize you were going to be that strict about time door. Hang on. <laughs> I have to vamp. Jaws, facts about Jaws, random stuff, Twilight, Twilight, Jaws, facts about Jaws.
Is this staying in? That's not really vamping. You're just <laughs> discussing topics you might vamp about if you were to vamp. <laughs> That's true. That was just kind of listing subjects. Um, we should take this, we should take this, take this transition right into like the basic biographical details. Chris Rice, uh, novelist. Yes. Of, do you prefer novelist over author? Author, author. I, I'm not crazy about the term author. I don't, I, I don't use it. It feels a little dated to me. Auteur. Auteur. <laughs> Alter, right? It gets confused with that one too. Does it really? Yeah, by idiots. By, by idiots. Um, so you prefer novelist? <laughs> I prefer writer. As as my best friend Eric Sharquin says, I'll write anything they'll pay me to write. So why not say writer? Right. And yeah. do you find that that's where you're at these days? Moving well, away, moving away from the form of the novel in terms of what they will pay to pay you to write or what you're interested in. You know, writing. somewhat. I think what what I'm up to today is I just spent about two and a half years working on my first supernatural horror novel, which I have now sold to Gallery Books at whoop Simon whoop. and Schuster. Yes. Okay. Awesome. And in the it took me a long time because it was sort of I was shifting gears and I I had never written anything supernatural before, so getting the universe of it and and two and a um, half years is also long for you on a novel is it not it's long it's a little long right it's long as if, if i don't have a deal and i don't have an editor corresponding with me during that process i can Cracking go on the forever web. yeah nobody stops me. do you just lose yourself in the research scott berg style yeah totally right totally and i this was set in post katrina new orleans which i i left new orleans i lived there for about 15 years right, but i you left know so well, well before katrina Right. And I didn't have a real grasp on what life was like there post Katrina. So I had to go back a lot to right. sort of ground it. I mean, ultimately it's a story about a girl who's exposed to a parasite that gives her the ability to control other people's minds. So another one of those. Yeah. Another is another mind control parasite novel. Did the parasite, did the parasite come in with the hurricane? No, no. Okay. She actually gets exposed well before the hurricane. The hurricane divides the book in half. Okay. In a sort of off-camera way, right. you get a slice of New Orleans before, right. in the before time, right. and then you pick up afterwards, and her return to New Orleans, she leaves after she's exposed because a series of horrible events okay. happen, but she returns post-Katrina, and that's where the, the momentum of the story really picks up. Okay. So anyway, all of that was a lot of research, but to, to get back to answering your question, during that time, you know... Obviously, there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening in terms of digital media across the across the board. But in publishing, the impact of of the Amazon Kindle. and Kindle and Nook and sure. all that stuff has been enormous. And how sure. you market in that space has has become the primary question. Uh, and um, you're gonna have to do uh, it again. Sorry, that's, my, that's the mail clown. M a i l. M a i l. So um, I'll just keep answering the question, and then when he when you come back, you'll you won't know what I'm talking about, and so you know he'll I'll look really yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to answer the question. Oh, you did it, yeah, man, no did it, or come on, <laughs> we don't need him. Um, so anyway, what I was talking to my editor about how we were going to market my past book. And, and my editor also happens to edit Glenn Beck. Oh, wow. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> and he said, well, Glenn Beck has a radio show. And I thought, okay, you know, like if this is getting, as we can see here from the setup that we're using here, if this pro whole process is getting more streamlined, is this something that I can actually do? You know? So, uh, my best friend, Eric Sharquin and I, we teamed up to launch, our own essentially internet radio show, which of course everyone said to us is, Oh, just get a few computers and blah, 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 blah. But us being who we are, it's you been a year now and we're developing our studio and launching a marketing campaign. And, uh, it's going to be called the dinner party show. 
Right. And it will crush your show just like That's you know, a, given. A, a meteor just That's a given of, of, of gay entertainment just smashing your show. Well, You've yeah. never once marketed our show as gay entertainment. Okay, well, so you know, the, you faggots we, can, uh, we, <laughs> these faggots are coming for you. More you can go take your corner of the world. Absolutely. Um, well, now it's a toss-up. The only thought I had ro uh, rolling into this show, as usual, we do ab absolutely no prep, and I usually have little or no idea of what we're going to end up discussing, but the only, um, the only sort of idle thought I'd had about the show a few hours ago was... Given Chris's southern roots uh, in Louisiana, I thought one possible title for the episode would be Swamp Ass. <laughs> or the other possible title would be Gay for Pay. Gay for Pay. And we've already kind of touched on both those. Well, if you're going but to talk about the third title now, which I'm thinking about, is my best friend ass. Eric Shaw Quinn. My best friend Just as Eric a title. Shaw Quinn. Log rolling, my best friend, <laughs> exactly, and future co-host on the Log rolling is show. pretty good. Yeah, no, I like um, Gay for Pay. It really brings up how I met you originally, you which was are you pretending not to remember? No, that's no, I'm it's I, genuine. I was going to tell. No, you you wrote me an email online. After your advocate cover? Yes, yeah, saying, please send me suggestive photos of yourself in various sort of costume right. situations. And I think right. you were a uh, fan That's of, just a form email I have. Yeah, exactly. Right. Boy Scout with hand, uh, hand stuck in honey jar was your favorite. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Eagle, Eagle Scout, or as I like to call them, Legal Scouts, um, was your favorite. Cohen and is it, just... It, yeah. Speaking of rolling, Cohen is just rolling right along. Yeah, absolutely. Um no, you actually, you reached out to me. You and Bill email. and I were going yeah. to New Orleans for Christmas, right? Right. And wasn't that the initial contact? I think so. And I was like, I where would, should we go? Yeah, and I had moved out here by then. Right. So we actually ended up meeting for dinner, I believe, the three That's of right. us. That's right. Three of us. Or I was told if you're nice, you get to meet Bill. But yeah, was I, did I really say that? No, I you didn't. No. You didn't. No, actually, if you're not nice, you get to suffer the, nice, yeah. suffer the dinner. Absolutely. Um. And speaking of nice, you were the one who said uh, at that dinner, if memory serves, and now you're being served <laughs> that uh, Bill's movie, which he directed but did not write, Candyman, Farewell to the, F to the Flesh, uh -huh. or Farewell to the Fresh, as the critics referred to it, was the best cinematic evocation of New Orleans <laughs> that you had seen to that point. I did. Speaking of I log don't, rolling, don't recall log rolling that. might be the best. I, might be the best title. For I don't episode. recall saying that. I have a very, very high opinion of of Bill's work overall, but I don't recall making that statement. You about actually Candy did. Man too. No. Unlike all this, yeah. Did I really? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. What you want to take it back on the air? I'm going to take it back on the air. What's the best cinematic evocation of New Orleans? Well, that would be Interview with the Vampire, but that's rather dated. Well, isn't that's it? period, right? Absolutely, exactly. that's period. I have to say, What's the best the, modern movie set in New Orleans, not TV, but movie. Yeah, mm. yeah, not Treme or anything like that. Mm. Well, you know, the, the, it, it, this is a question that divides my mind because there's, in terms of a story that has accurately portrayed what life is like there, right. I've yet to really see, but. There was always the movies that were filmed in the eighties, like the Big Easy. It was like this cartoon vision of Disneyland. There was right. a film called No Mercy with Kim Basinger and Richard Gere that was right. like, I don't really it's also know. Also from the eighties. Yeah, I don't know what New Orleans this is. Like everything yeah. was too stylized. It was too high Southern. It was too right. plantation driven. Right after the corporate logo, the Paramount or the 
Fox or the Universal, you hear the saxophone come up yeah. over <laughs> over blackness, and you're just like, oh god, right? <coughs> and so honestly, everything is being shot there now, as you know, right? Right. And the movies that are being shot there now in a visual way are more accurately portraying what things look like, right? And and the the I think Looper being movies. Looper being the one that was probably shot there most recently. That's a, just about to open. Okay, the science fiction Ryan yeah. Johnson movie with Bruce Willis and right, Robin, right, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm thinking of movies like Contraband, and mm -hmm. um, which was actually supposed to be set there. I'll right. tell you the weirdest experience I had recently was watching Twenty One Jump Street, which I Oof. enjoyed, okay, and realizing it was New Orleans. You didn't and even know. I didn't know. It's not part it's of the story. Every place it's America. Not, right. It's one of those. Yeah. It, New Orleans has become every place America, which is an odd choice because most of New Orleans is pretty run down. And the locations they were using in 21 Jump Street were pretty run down. Huh. But you could tell the high school was deep south brick construction, chain right. link fence kind of. Right. You know, and, and that odd sense of wrecking. It's like the sense people first have when they move here to LA and they go to the valley and realize they're driving through the set for every quote unquote American city they've ever seen on yeah. television or, or American eighties teen high school movie. Right. Um not shot in a suburb of Chicago. And even then most people don't know that Ferris Bueller's house is actually in Long Beach. I didn't know that. Not a suburb of Chicago. The exterior is anyway. Um how do you come down on speaking of all of this, how do you come down on Beasts of the Southern Wild? I have not seen it yet, but very Me much. Me neither and let's to. go. Yeah, let's go. Like can, are we done? Can we go? No. No. Okay. Sorry. We're not done. We only have what twenty minutes in the can, Cohen. Thirteen. Look at this motherfucker. Thirteen. Is it really? It's thirteen. And minutes. we're going for four hours, right? Yeah, exactly. Four All right. Hours. So the passage to Chris India Rice, born podcast. in what year? Um, uh, say nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy eight. So you grew up during the eighties. Child yes. of the eighties and nineties. Mm -hmm. um, grew up in New Orleans. Mom wrote Interview with a Vampire, and before that was sort of uh, a. a Predating E.L. James and her explorations well, into well, actually, people erotica. Often, they get the timeline confused. Mom wrote Interview with the Vampire in 1975 before right. I was born. Okay, it was not a success. It was paid an enormously large advance for paperback rights, which it didn't earn back, and it was a black mark on her career for a while. Interview. She did. Yeah, Interview was. Interesting. And she did, two, in the interim, And when I was young, the first books that I remember were two historical novels, Cry to Heaven, and I'm sorry, I'm getting them backwards, Feast of All Saints, which was about the free people of color in, in Louisiana. Okay. And uh, the Cry to Heaven, which was about Castrati in Italy. Right. Both of which were very well-reviewed and very well-received, but which were not big sellers. Right. And then she wrote The Vampire Lestat. After she, Interview with the Vampire. After, years after, several years after so Interview with the Vampire. So she writes first those two, then Interview, and then Lestat. No, she writes Interview. Then she writes the two historical novels. Then she says, "Interview is her go, first novel." Interview. And by is the way, this is not going to turn into an hour on Anne Rice. No, but it's okay. Interview with Interview is her first novel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then the other two. Right. Nothing blips. Really, I mean, it, the other two blip critically. Yes, but exactly. none of them blip commercially. Right. Interview with the Vampire got a lot of attention, but it didn't sell up to expectations. Which right. Harder career for a while. Got it. And so then, then she the writes Vampire The Vampire Lestat. And that really blipped. And that there was a word of mouth thing happening. Right. It, it what year was that? No, I want to say 1984, 1985. Well, that late. 
That's my guess because I can remember her in the kid. We were still living in San Francisco and we left San Francisco in 1988 and I was 10 years in old. In the city? Yeah, we were living in the Castro. Okay. And, um, she got the phone call that it had debuted at number nine on the New York Times list. And I remember her screaming. Wow. Well, number nine, number nine. That's great. Know? And then around 1988 was Queen of the Damned and our lives were never the same. Really? I mean, they were literally selling that book out of the box in the bookstore. It so that was, back. that was the transformative that was installment the, of the exploded. Yeah. Um, the so-called Vampire Chronicles. Right. Correct? Yeah. Right. Wow. She went to know New that. York to do um, some publicity, and she'd done publicity in the past, and it had never been very big, and she was having coffee with someone from her publisher around the corner from the bookstore where she was supposed to sign. Right. And when they came out of the store, there was a police barricade up, and there were cops what? all around, and she turned and said, what's going on here? And the cop went, Ann Rice is having a sign-in. Really? I didn't know it was her. By the way, that was the cop played by Tim Curry. The cop was played by Tim Curry. <laughs> um, when did when did uh, the Mayfair stuff come into the chronology? Witching hour, just after that. At Matt hour Cohen after comes alive. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I, I, <laughs> Matt loves witches. You never know. I, we, we, I had no idea. We had discussed this on this podcast. <laughs> like the Witching Hour and the Vampire Books were like the first adult novel. I used to masturbate to the Witching Hour. I told right. you that was the first thing I ever jerked off to in my life. Which I did not receive any of this between Rowan and Michael. Oh yeah, well there's like a, a sexual a sex fantasia, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they get so it. for eleven year old, twelve year old Matt, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to masturbate to prose. Like I didn't have <laughs> porn yet. That was like the only sexy stuff I had. So yeah, yeah. I started with prose, but it was forced on me. My parents stayed in the room to make sure I was jerking off to prose. <laughs> and the better thing is the appropriate. Prose. I was eleven, and my mom was like, "I think you're ready for this." For uh, for witching hour, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was an early start. Yeah, which did you read first? Witching, uh, the witch, the Mayfair stuff, and, and then, then vampire, the vampire and Chronicles. then crossed in between all the other right. stuff. Right, got it. Okay, um, I truly, truly do not want this to turn into the <laughs> thing. Um, so how quickly after do you move from San Francisco to New Orleans? Nineteen eighty-eight is. Probably we moved right when Queen of the Damned was released. I think it practically coincided. So right. I was 10 years old. That was 88. The Zodiac Killer was done, by the way. The Zodiac Killer had finished. He so, hung yeah. up his spurs. So he was probably my father. I could make a lot of money <laughs> pushing that theory. Anyway, so we got to New Orleans. In the, I remember the What Republican, prompts the move to New Orleans? You know, I think my mom's success. I think my mom she wanted to get really back to her big. roots. She wanted to get back to her roots, and she was really tired of San Francisco. She had right. lived there for years and years and years. Right. The, you know, the other thing that was happening, not to get too grim, is that um, we lived in the Castro, and everybody was dying. Yeah. And it was real of grim. AIDS. Yeah, they were dying of AIDS. And it right. was really grim. And I think for it didn't occur to me until later that, you know, they had lost a child before me to cancer. And I think... The combination of those two was almost more than they could take. And the child who was lost was the basis for the... Right, for the vampire Claudia, an interview right. with the vampire, that's the child right. vampire. Who, your sister, mm -hmm. who died at age... Six. That's crazy. Yeah. Whose name was... Michelle. Michelle. Right. Um, let me ask you this. So, how old were you when you moved? Ten. So, pre-ten, growing up in the Castro... Did you know you were gay? I would write... I mean, obviously, the, 
The sidewalks are full of gay men. I would it's ride my bike around the, the neighborhood, States. and I remember riding past. <laughs> this is kind of a creepy story, but at the time, it didn't strike me as creepy. A grown gay man who went, "Hey, good looking." Wow! And I remember thinking, "I like that." You like that? Yeah. You like that attention, or you like that guy? I like the attention, and the I, the guy wasn't half bad either. And you know. despite the assless chaps. Despite the assless, you know, I only saw one, all the rage at the in time. All my years living there, I only saw one pair of assless chaps. I should ask for my money back. <laughs> you should. But yeah, no, um, I, I had a sense of it. I really did. But then when I got to New Orleans, it was like, I better sit on this one because I went from lesbian run hippie. Well, you went from ancient Rome school to, to uh, I don't even know what the comparison, Victorian London. It yeah. felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and suddenly I was in a, an Episcopal school where we had to wear polo shirts and f- line up to go to chapel every morning, and I hey, was told looking. to cut my hair. And then, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> totally. All right. So it was like, wow. Yeah. Um. And what year did that movie go? That movie didn't go into production until the nineties. That movie. I grew Interview up with the vampire. That damn movie. I, that movie. There were so many iterations. If that's right. the right word of that right. movie. So many different studios on that movie. I heard it most once kids, referred most to. Most kids don't ever have to meet David Geffen. <laughs> <laughs> ever. He was very nice. Mm-hmm. He was very nice. He came to visit before they went into production because by the time they went into production, right. there had been no one, another. No one was on speaking yeah. terms, right? <laughs> Nobody was speaking to each other. <laughs> and we never once visited the set, even though it was a 10-minute drive from our house. Well, that was my next question. So you have no memories from set of Neil Jordan's interview with We never Empire. went. Wow. We never went. I think probably because the closest every- I ever went to, to being on the set was that uh, recently here in town, I met a producer named Danny Rose, okay. who was actually from New Orleans originally, and Danny produced Scrubs and Cougar Town, and his very first job was on the set of Interview with the Vampire. As and a as a PA or a grip, I, okay. I think you know it was it, he was at a student at Tulane at the time. Okay, and I uh, had lunch with Danny, and he told me all about it because it was uh, he said it was a nightmare because it was all night shoots the whole right. thing because it was about vampires. They only come out right. at night, and he said the Irish crew members would would were built for it because they would then go out and start their drinking at eight in the morning when work right. wrapped up. But he was this college student who was still in school. Anyway, right. that's the most information I ever got about what happened on that set. Right, uh, was from Danny. A couple months ago here in L.A. Interesting. I feel that movie. I remember seeing that movie when it opened. I was living down in either Manhattan Beach or Hermosa Beach. And I went to the AMC and saw it. And I remember feeling sort of, yeah, it was okay, Mm -hmm. right? But since then, I feel that movie has really like sort of come up culturally in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because, again, it, it's always interesting to watch a really, really, a movie that, let's just say, was not an independent film. A lot of money was spent on that movie, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the money was all from Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it was a big studio movie. Um, it's interesting that, you know, another example of this is the movie White Palace uh, that was shot in St. Louis by my, when Adam Cook and I lived there. Adam, I think, had his first job on that as a production assistant. Just, and that was a movie that, you know, again, a studio movie, James Spader and Susan Sarandon came out, didn't really land in any meaningful way, sort of, um, culturally, commercially, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you turn on DirecTV and you go, and you go scrolling down at, you know, 
one in the morning or whatever, it is always on. It's like interview has never really left, um, it, that movie directed right. by Neil Jordan has never really left the culture. Although I feel in a way it's sort of like Neil Jordan kind of has, you know, mm. which is interesting. Well, I think he's sort of yeah. bounced back a bit with the Borgias. You know, I, yeah. I know he and mom are actually in touch about it and, yeah. and, and they exchange emails and I know she's a big fan of the Borgias and, right. and I, and I, the show has a following, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I hate this idea of we judge a book or a movie by its performance the day it comes in the out. first three months. Yeah. Because yeah. like we have all these channels for them to endure. Right. And, and certain movies. And do. just as many, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them. Right. That open with, you know, with, that have been made with exponentially larger production budgets with a much, much higher profile due right. to either the cast, the director, the subject matter, the source material. Yeah. Um, exponentially larger marketing budgets, then just go away mm-hmm. and have no life. Five, ten, fifteen years later, where a movie like White Palace does interview with the vampire, I'm not, I'm not too, too surprised that it does, based on the popularity of the source material. Right. Um, but it's one of the. I'll tell you what, it's one of, it's one of few Tom Cruise movies that I can sort of watch now and not, and sort of not be distracted by any, you know, Tom Cruiseisms or right. Whatever, you know, you know legend I think he really, being another one. Despite the controversy, I think he really did give it his all. I think, I think he so too. really did his homework. Yeah. And I think he, he did what the best that he could do. And I think people are still divided that I talk good. to. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I mean, I still, there are some basic physical fundamentals to the character of Lestat, which Tom Cruise just doesn't have. Lestat is supposed to be over six feet tall. Right. You know, he's supposed to be blonde. Blonde, yeah, right. which they made him in the movie, but you know he is closer Hard to, to a Chris Hemsworth today, right? And let's say maybe a leaned-out Chris Hemsworth, than right? Tom Cruise ever right. was. So right. there's that thing. Well, I mean, even back then, I think the thing was Brad Pitt was physically more suited for Lestat than Tom Cruise, kind of even. Just I kind of the agree. bigger, taller look. But Brad Pitt yeah. at physically. the time was not the movie star. No, no, you couldn't. You couldn't bank a movie on Brad Pitt in the lead. Brad Pitt sort of necessarily needed to be the second lead. Exactly. At that moment in time. Right. And the interviewer was to be played by River Phoenix. He was. It was. And he died. He died so shortly then before Christian production. Slater. Christian Slater gave in. his salary to oh, wow. some sort of charity that River Phoenix liked or it was had to do with drug drug People treatment and recovery. For the ethical treatment of animals probably. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So um, it was a crazy time. I think my best memory of all of that is that they, they w- at the time, which was I, apparently not done, or maybe this is just how they sold it, they sent her a VHS of the movie before it was even released, and we all right. gathered in in the upstairs living room, and I brought in, of course, groups of people to watch this really bad quality grainy VHS, VHS yeah. tape. Yeah. And that's what got her endorsement and won her over, and so she took out an ad in Variety saying... I take it back. He did right. an okay job. You know, right. I, I after she'd taken out a few ads. Yeah. It had beforehand, been beforehand, right? It had been rough. Right. So they then allowed her to have a screening at the Canal Place movie theaters in New Orleans, which are really the only art house movie theaters in town. And they're in the upper floors of this higher end shopping mall right downtown. And right. she rented are out they the still whole there? theater. They're still there, I believe. Okay. And so everyone who worked on the movie, and at the time, it wasn't as common to have a production that large in New Orleans as it is now. They're there every week. It's become Due like to the oh-so-generous tax incentives and rebates oh, from yeah. the good, good state of Louisiana yeah, and its absolutely. legislature. 
Yeah. But anyway, at the time it was, it was a big deal. And so the, the theaters were filled with the carpenters, the electricians, right. the, the actors who had been, you know, victim number one. It, it was right. an amazing experience. And then the, I guess it was the NBC affiliate WDSU waited outside the theater for her to get a live reaction. And then they went live with it on the 10 o'clock news because right. the news comes on at 10 o'clock there. Right. Which was really a gutsy thing. And she was emotionally overcome and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. It ended really well. That's I great. Think. You know, and at the time it was the highest opening of an R-rated film in history. I think right. that it was quickly replaced by something else. I can't remember what. Right. At the time it was an achievement. It's interesting to remember that it is an R-rated movie. Oh yeah. And these days they'd, they'd probably try to get that down to a PG-13 if they could. They probably Seems would. to be the trend. Yeah. Um, and is there anything, has anything been announced concerning the Vampire Chronicles or the Mayfair? Well, What's going a, on with these things? There is another film you're forgetting. Well, yeah, directed by <laughs> the director of the Battlestar Galactica miniseries, which is oh. how he exists in my world. Yes, let's um, let him exist in that way. Exactly. Let's let, he was exactly. a good, we, I met him and he was a nice Michael Rima. Yeah, Michael, Michael Rima from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, did the, Feature adaptation of Queen of the Damned, mm-hmm. uh, which incorporated parts of the Vampire Lestat, yes. right? It was yes. sort of a fusion hybrid of those two books. Yeah, but it took some real liberties with the source material. It changed who Lestat's maker was in right. a way that would have really kind of messed things up. In a, you know, it was, it, you know, we weren't happy with it. Is anybody going to go back and get this right? Well, I think so. I think it's too soon to talk about what's happening right now, but there are some exciting things happening. And Good. I, I think the, um, the, it, we're definitely looking at it from a reboot perspective. It should be rebooted. You know? I mean, it's certainly a big enough brand, right. if you will. Absolutely. Whether it's a studio reboot or an HBO reboot, right. whatever, so, yeah. somewhere where you can take the time to delve into the details of that universe and get everything right without making sort of, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Stupid I mean, what's abbreviations. What's out there, though, what's untouched currently is the next book in the series, Tale of the Body Thief. And even though it is the next book in the series, it's got this really nifty, standalone, very pitchable plot, which is that Lestat is given the opportunity to switch bodies with a mortal psychic who right. has the ability to astral project. Right. And he agrees to do this so that he can discover if he really has a human soul still. Right. He can live in the body of a mortal man for a period of time. Right. But no sooner has he made the switch, he realizes he's the, the medium is a madman and that he has to get his body back from this guy. The guy's right. gonna do things far more evil with it right. than Lestat would ever do. Right. So there there's a potential there to to do that story as its own vampire thriller, but also relaunch that character and relaunch the the franchise and what's going on with the what's it called the mayfair the which which car which hammer the, the what's May- the title for that the universe? mayfair what is it i guess it was the mayfair which wasn't a saga i don't think she called saga is so pretentious saga is either well because well, yes, then the they, both, they both crossed over too so are they technically they the same yeah. Chronicle? yeah they did like lestat met julian mayfair in the, in right. the last few books right yeah, yeah there were three mayfair witch novels how many own. how many vampire chronicles are Lasher, there? Lasher, Talthos, and Witching Hour. Yeah, the three, right? Yeah. yeah, there are three. Oh, how many vampire chronicle novels? I honestly don't know. Like eleven. Eleven. Because there's Vittorio. There's short ones now too. There's mm-hmm. Mar- like yeah. yeah. Wow. There's nov- novellas, as it were, that are wow. still part okay. of it. Right. The new tales of the vampire. Yeah. She was doing two a year at one point. She would do oh one God. of those new tales of the vampire, and then she'd do a larger book. And I believe the vampire Armand and Blood and Gold were done in that way. Wow. But yeah, crazy. I think the, it looks like the Witching Hour novels are headed for Pardon. TV. Okay. 
there's something new and exciting happening on that Good. front. So Good. keep our fingers crossed. Because I've always seen those as mini series bound or right. regular series bound. Right. Again, where you can take yeah. the time to do it right. Yeah. Um, you wrote your first novel when you were still living in New Orleans or you'd moved to Los Angeles? I had moved to Los Angeles and I came out here thinking I was going to go whole hog on being a screenwriter. Being a screenwriter. And I got a phone call one day from my father saying, your mother has been rushed to the hospital. She's okay. She's diabetic. They put a breathing tube in. And I went, what? Wow. And it turned out that she had been diabetic for months and months and months and she literally this is she had no knowledge of it she thought it was something else she was being treated right. for other things she was right. you know all she could eat was ice cream i don't know why nobody picked up on it but i wasn't living there and at the time yeah. i told the local news i don't know why nobody picked up on this and every doctor who had worked on her called their lawyer at the same time but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how i am right and the ice anyway, cream the ice the man who owned the ice cream truck yes, called his attorney suits. as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Strawberry Hagendoss as its own label brought a lawsuit. No, I I and I, I left everything I was doing here to go be with her. And uh, right. she had gone into a coma, is what had happened. She'd gone what into year ketoacidosis. Was this? this was I wanna say it was nineteen ninety eight, ninety seven or ninety eight. About fifteen years ago. Yeah, about right. fifteen years ago. And once there, I clearly wasn't going to leave anytime soon. Right. So I started late at night working on the, tinkering with this short story that I had written that was this really sort of angry, emotional kind of, it had the seeds of, you know, I like to say every writer from the South has to start by writing their revenge novel. Interesting. It's vengeful, getting back at everyone from their town, like the Prince right. of Tides, you know. Right. And mine was A Density of Souls, which right. I started Became writing. the novel. Became, became the novel. your debut novel, A Density of Souls. Yes, exactly. Right. Was, and, was that always the title of the short story? No, the short story was called The Bell Tower. And, okay. and the short story contained... Which figures prominently in the third act of Same. Exactly. The, the twist at the end of, of, well, there are a couple twists, but one of the bigger ones, the revelation, the big secret of the novel, it was contained entirely in the short story. So unfortunately, I can't Got talk it. about it. But Got it, yeah. And that was, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I don't know, I was 21 years old. I don't think I knew what was going to happen. Right. You know, like when you're 21 years old and major publications are interviewing you, you're going to end up saying a lot of crap you wish you had never said to anybody. Right. You know, like, but I had a pretty good experience overall. I had an amazing experience at the time. I wish I had been a little bit more grateful and maybe a little bit more grown up during okay. the publication of it. But right. I had two novels that happened that way in a really sort of exciting way. The next that one happened was the what way? This big, huge media splashy Christopher yeah. Rice, Rosie O'Donnell show, and right, yeah, which did result in the certain out of the box business success. Both of those novels yeah. went did appear on the New York Times yes, bestseller list. Correct? Yes, they did. They both cracked the top fifteen, which was right. You know, which, by the way, Chris, let me just ask you: remains import re remains an important bellwether, or less so? You know, it remains an important bellwether, but the For nature novelists. of those lists is. Uh, is changing. Okay. The, the, you know, it used to be that you had to make the top 15. I, I don't think there was anybody keeping a rule about this, but the unspoken rule was that in if publishing, you, you could call yourself a New York Times bestseller for the rest of your life. If you crack the top 15. Got it. And density of souls further, your 15. publisher could call you a New York Times right. bestselling exactly. author or novelist for the rest of your life. Right. Exactly. Put that on the front of your, your ill selling. Yes. 43rd. Yeah, right. Novel. Exactly. And people yeah. are doing that. People are doing that. And, uh, so 
now you just need to make the top 36 and you can okay. adopt the label, which I'm fine with. I don't see any problem with. Right. You know, the, there's, there have always been questions about how the New York Times maintains that list. Is it, know? does it remain the most important list? Yes. The, ne- the second most important list would be what? You know, I think Amazon or Kirkus or something like that, or am, am I completely sure in the dark here? I think Amazon's overall sales ranking, you know, Amazon has so many lists. Right. And the, the, probably the one that people get really excited about is USA Today because it's not divided up by genre. You're on there with everybody. Okay. So if you're number one on USA Today, that means you've also beat out the diet book of the moment, the right. tell-all memoir of the moment, the children's book of the moment. You know, like, and you've been published as number one in the largest, yeah, most widely read newspaper in the entire world, exactly. I believe. So-called McPaper. Right. right. Is it really? Yeah. That fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Why? USA number one, Cohen. If you don't like it, you can get the fuck <laughs> out. If you don't like, like it, go to Mexico. I don't know that I need the colored fucking newspaper every day that folds up into 80 pieces. No, I know, but the reality is between airports, is hotels, really? motels, yeah, yeah, et cetera, sure. it's everywhere. And by right. the way, when you move out of the cities uh, into the suburbs and more rural areas like where my parents live, baby, that's it. I don't have newspapers. That's right? it. Yeah, they yeah, get yeah. the Sunday St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is a Pulitzer paper, mm-hmm. but Monday through Friday... It's USA Today. You know how they have food deserts? You know that concept? I guess they have newspaper deserts. No, I don't. What's the food desert concept? The food desert concept is there are certain areas of Los Angeles where for a certain square mile radius, there is no fresh produce available for sale. Really? So like in Crenshaw, for in order for someone who lives there or in parts of it right. to get fresh produce, they have to drive an inordinately long way. Out of their food desert. Out, out of their food into desert. Their, into, into the neighboring Gelson's food oasis. West Hollywood. Exactly. And right. so there are people who are working to try to remedy this because the, the produce is being sent to the highest bidder, essentially. I wow. was just introduced to this concept two days ago, wow. so I don't, I'm not trying to sound like I have a doctorate. In no, but this, what, trendy this is part of what concept. I love about podcasting is... Yeah. I don't know shit about food trucks, and then Alonzo Duralde comes on the show, and mm-hmm. suddenly the- at the end of the show, out of nowhere, I'm just thinking like, dude, you must know about food trucks, and boy, <laughs> does he. And then 20 minutes later, so do I. Right. You know? Food deserts, interesting. Food desert. So there are newspaper deserts. Well, in the age of the internet, I, as I was saying that, I'm like, how? if you have an there online There also have to be book deserts in the wake of, for instance, the mm-hmm. the disintegration of borders. Yeah. That was bad. right. Like, wh- how far do you have to drive now to get to a bookstore? Could be a question that you might have to ask yourself if you live off the 15, for instance, in you know well, the high I mean, desert. The question is, how long before those people get a Kindle or a Nook because they're sick of driving that long to a bookstore? Yeah. I think that's the question that we're asking yeah. ourselves now. And it's the rolling right along is the question is another question that you ask yourself, or is a question that your uh, business manager, attorney, and accountant might ask themselves is, do you trust the reported sales figures <laughs> of uh, ones and zeros that are reported to you by your publisher or are reported, for instance, by Amazon to your publisher, etc.? cetera? Um, in the old day, there's a reason, by the way, that the studios mm-hmm. do not, there's really no place that you can find Really sort of rock solid reporting figures for Blu-ray and DVD. Mm. Eh, it's a little approximation. And in, as far as digital downloads, you know, on demand, et cetera, 
I, I don't know anywhere you find any reporting of that because the studios figured out um, that they weren't going to repeat the mistake of that domestic theatrical box office chart <laughs> published in Variety. <laughs> they don't want to publish any of those figures anymore because it's all admissible evidence in court that they're right. fucking you. Right. You know? Yeah. And they're not giving you your profit participations that you negotiated over the course of months mm-hmm. um, with your attorney business manager agent etc they just stiff you yeah routinely there's something to be like when there's no actual book or actual dvd being sold well who knows the what right? it gets to is this right in the digital book arena yeah amazon needs a viable competitor that's doing what amazon is doing i think the argument that we're in right now is there are a lot of booksellers who want to sell books the old way and then there's amazon who's doing it in an entirely new way and it's kicking everyone else's butt yeah and the reality is is that amazon needs to have a competitor that's doing it the way amazon is doing it or trying to improve on the way amazon is doing it right and then their dominant share of the market won't be so terrifying to everyone but look that's going to mean the fall of an old regime you know and i have big fights with people in publishing about it but i don't think it's going back the other way yeah i think we are we are headed in the direction of lower priced ebooks yeah and so it calls into question what the publishers are doing what they actually contribute to the process because i have met person after person who says i am not paying 23 dollars for an ebook i know it didn't cost you as much to produce as a hardcover would you didn't have to store it you didn't have to ship it you didn't have to warehouse it you didn't have to do all these things so i'm not paying it right so so we're so publishers are bringing out new ebooks at around 14 dollars and Amazon right. really wants them priced as low as possible, really. Amazon mm-hmm. is about moving as much of, of the ebooks as the they Walmart can to get the device out there. It's all about volume. Yeah. Wasn't there recently a bit of a controversy with Amazon? I think with, uh, they were, they were kind of keeping the prices low with the actual publishers to beat out the paper copies of the books. I think I read that there, like they were. Well, we're in the midst of a really dramatic Department of Justice lawsuit. That's what and, it is, And what right? the lawsuit yeah. actually alleges is that the publishers, which are being referred to as the big six, or, or some people call them legacy publishers, which is uh, they find rather offensive, are uh, the accusation is that they are colluding to keep prices high, that they're acting as a cartel to keep prices unnaturally high, whereas Amazon has introduced this wildly popular new technology that is sort of making people open to the idea of much lower ebooks. So they're both pointing the finger at the other as having unnaturally warped the book market. And the Department of Justice, I think we're in an appeal process right now, but the DOJ is currently on the side of Amazon and saying that the big six did act in collusion. They, you know, the accusation is they behaved like a cartel as opposed to independent businesses. So it's incredibly complicated, but look, all I can say is, I never thought I would convert to a Kindle, and when I bought one, I was completely sold in a few weeks. You know, if somebody right. who's a compulsive reader like me, the appeal of carrying around twenty to thirty books, even more than that, in one hand, in a device that weighs almost nothing, that has actually managed to simulate the reading experience in, in, in a comfortable way, you know, right. it's just I, I just don't see it going the other direction again. Right, right. Um, how many novels have you written to date? Well, including written. the as yet to be published, the heavens swamp ass 
the heavens the title? rise. Yes, but you have to say it like a really drunken southern drag queen. <laughs> the heavens rise. Uh, that is my sixth. So that will be your sixth six. novel. Yeah. Wow. Can you name them all? Yes. I, can I name them all? Can you it name depends them on all? My, it depends on my I'm uh, turning around to see if they're on your bookshelf. I think... Blah, blah, blah. Gore Vidal, Gore Vidal. I think we're PD missing James. one, Chris Rice. <laughs> well, I'll have to get you. No, I see the snow, Density, the Snow Garden, Blind Fall. Oscar Wilde, Gore Vidal. I never noticed you have the gayest bookshelf in the world, Two, dude. Three, four, Shush. You have all five. Oh, and this, yeah. that's right. And the sixth is, uh, is forthcoming. Yeah. Um, and how many screenplays have you actually, what you started out? Written? Yeah. Because none of them have ever gone anywhere. Right. Um, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what happened to a lot of the early ones is they ended up in the books, like the characters or storylines sure. folded into those books. I sure. don't really see them as viable a lot. Um, probably, I don't know. A lot. Half a dozen? Yeah, half a dozen. Like yeah. when I was 19, I could just pop them out one after the other. I didn't right. care if they were any good or not. It was only about how they demonstrated to you, the viewer, how I was right about everything. That was how I started writing. And somebody who looked like Scott Wolf ended up in bed with me at some point. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and that is a true story as well. Um, <laughs> it is not. Scott Wolf is happily married to a woman who I actually know. Uh-huh. Um, and you st- are you still writing a column for The Advocate? No, I haven't been doing that for a long time. The Advocate has gone through so many shifts of editors. Well, let's just say... Let's just say. Let's just say. What? Centerfold News on Fairfax, which is a very fine newsstand, mm-hmm. as is, of course, the newsstand a- attached to Book Soup. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the Book Soup newsstand, but Centerfold sells out magazine, which is published by Here Media, mm-hmm. right? But does not sell The Advocate. Really? Yeah. So, like, in my universe, it's hard to even find an, a copy of the Advocate on newsstands. Well, what I've been hearing, the drumbeat. I know the page count is. Yeah, and it's, then it's all it's on digital. The verge of becoming and then it a was pamphlet. being bundled with the Out magazine. If you wore, if you subscribe to Out, you would get a copy of the Advocate. Wow. I honestly, I, I I don't know. I mean, that's another industry where everything's going digital. You yeah, know, magazine publishing. Yeah, magazine publishing, and right. I mean, Toll Road has been doing has become the destination for that kind of gay news. That's right. Sort of, but it has more of a blend of, you know, fashion and... Which is interesting given that the creator, owner-operator, Andy Toll... Yes. His last job, his last real job before he started working for himself and created the site was as editor-in-chief of... Genre Magazine. Genre Magazine, right. Where I was his fiction editor. Right. For briefly. And I... Speaking he, of 15 years ago, I mean, or thereabouts, a right? Ago. We had a, offices a very long over time in ago. Hollywood, uh, right on Hollywood Boulevard by Grauman's Chinese, and it was... Um, we did not know how soon it would all be over. <laughs> yeah. But it was... Genre was always the sort of sexier, less news one. It was the fashion right. one. And, and Andy's job was to make it more of a Fire Island Provincetown magazine than a Castro District magazine. Right. To be pretty crass about it. Right. And it, it went that way for a while. And, but I remember at the same time, Andy was doing this thing called a blog. And I was like, what is that? What even? the hell is well, that? What the hell is that? And it was sort yeah. of, it was very, Andy has an incredible visual style and aesthetic. So it was very interesting to see in the beginning. Right. But I didn't get it. I didn't understand, like, it was news. Was it not news? It's not a magazine. Right. And then I remember it started taking off, and he asked me to substitute 
blog for him while he was on vacation. Right. And it was, it opened my eyes to what was going on because I, I didn't really know how to do it. I just right. thought, is this just what I'm thinking? Is this, and this is right. pre Facebook, pre Twitter, pre right. all of that. And it was my first exposure to how completely vicious anonymous contents get online because yeah. people who at the time had been mad about my advocate columns came out of the woodwork and yeah. started commenting on these well, there you were, various threads. Sitting was, still. Right. With exactly. a big target painted on your chest. Exactly. Yeah. Are you still in touch with Andy? Uh, yeah, I had, I saw Andy a few years ago in New York when I was there. And I mean, it's become, it's become like a magazine. It's because he's got staff. It's got advertising revenue. I think he's living off of it. It's been amazing to watch it happen because it was like the birth of something. It's incredible. You know, I'll tell you what's amazing along these lines. What? I did Runyon Canyon first time in a while. And who did I see coming down Runyon Canyon shirtless? Mm. I'm quite certain. I was like, no, it can't be. Who? Because it was it was like somewhere between a six-pack and an eight-pack. It was off the charts. Okay. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Who? And then I came home and Googled, Google imaged mm-hmm. to make sure that I was correct in my suspicions. Mm-hmm. Perez Hilton. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, I hadn't seen that guy, Mario Lavender, or however yeah, you pronounce his last right. name. I hadn't seen him in a number of years. Mm-hmm. And the last time I saw him, let's just say, he and I were not so far apart in our weight. And you I was, look amazing, by thank the you. way. If all your guests were coming rolling on in our talking time. about no, yeah. no, 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 no. no but everybody he is. and I were both big, fat fatties. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, yes, I've lost some weight. I don't have a fucking six-pack. Mm-hmm. Mario... I was like, are you kidding me? Right. Is that shit painted on? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. What the fuck? He looks amazing. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So um, we blasted out on Twitter, all of us, or all of us, not you, Matt Cohen. You never pull your own weight on Twitter. I'm lazy. Mm, um, I was at a fish concert last night. Give me credit for being alive right now. <laughs> uh, are you going to... Tell us on air who you saw smoking that weed at Fish. I will not, but they are a Disney Channel person. They're a Disney Channel I think person. So, right? Or no? I don't know. Look up fucking Hollywood Reporter. Someone was at the Fish concert. Yeah, see who they was at the Fish to, concert at HollywoodReporter.com last night. And uh, and you'll know then. No comment. Who, um, yeah, it was Bill Condon. You'll know that. I said no comment, but it was Matt Bill Cohen Condon. watched smoking weed with his very famous girlfriend. I have a very famous. Who's oh, your very oh, famous girlfriend? No, the person's very famous girlfriend. Oh. Um, Let's pretend I have. A we very end up in a cul de sac with that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Chris and I both tweeted that we were about to sit down and start this podcast, and I asked. Chris said to expect scandal soon, I and did. our version of scandal, so so far at least, is uh, that Matt Cohen used to masturbate, totally. reading Chris's mom's. Witchy novels. And Witch- that my parents novels. used to remain in the room with me to ensure that I was masturbating to prose and not video- visual and images. And which prose, Chris? Would that be Gore Vidal? That would be Nancy Friday's books on female sexual fantasies, actually. You know, it really helped when your mom was friends with a lot of gay erotic writers. You could, right. They were just like flesh in the word. The collection by John Preston was in the library and... That we were off. We were off. That's all I needed to do was get that book, and and things were things were rolling. Um, I asked for questions, and what we have thus far uh, are only like two questions. Two or three I, one questions. of them I like, though. I have one from Debbie Prince. 
Oh, Debbie Is it the Prince. remake? Qu- shout, yeah. out, shout out to Debbie Prince. Debbie, Debbie with her stitch, Abby. Debbie is a gal who I believe lives in New Zealand or Australia. Correct. And what she does every day is she obviously sees all my tweets at one time, and she responds to all of them in like two minutes. <laughs> really? So I'll get just, yeah, haha, sounds great, throughout the course of my day from Debbie Prince whenever she decides to go on Twitter. It's amazing. There'll be like 30 tweets in a row from the stitch avatar. <laughs> shout awesome. out to Debbie. I see him. I'm just not awake. Um, this is your favorite question. Your favorite question. I, I like Chris this Rice. question because we. I think this was before we started. We were talking about Jaws, and I understand that most of your podcasts turn into a long conversation about Jaws. Yes, I have this fantasy. The question from Debbie is, "What movie would I want to see remade?" Oh well, this is verging on heretical, which automatically makes it interesting. You're going to actually. Well, is your here's, answer? Here's how I would we'll put Jaws I, three. No, yes, because <laughs> it, use of 3D was brilliant. In that. Wasn't it? Didn't I find out later that Jaws three, which even though I was obsessed with Jaws, I was too afraid to see it when it came out because I was so young. Only parts of it were 3D, like a little logo flashed on the corner of the screen, or the floating fish head. Yeah, you put yeah, your glasses the, on the, now. So, and, the log with teeth. Yeah, coming at you through the aquarium window. I mean, and, and if you see those images on like the video version, they look like finger painting. They're so bad. It's like. Oh God, that's where the right. 3D was. Right. Anyway, I if I owned a studio, I would go to Spielberg and say, "What can I do to get you to remake Jaws frame by frame using the technology we have today, only to recreate the composition of the shots?" You see what I'm saying? So no. you can use the CGI shark, but it has to go the it has to move it has to move in the same direction and do all the same things that Bruce did in the movie. So basically, right? what they did for Star Trek TOS when they took out the old shots of the Enterprise and put in new ones, you basically do with the shark almost. No, I, you I, do I would, new I would have him remake for, uh, the movie. Star Trek: The Next Generation him, as well. Yeah. I would have him recast the movie. I think it would be fun to have Hooper be gay and me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, as but, you. Uh, as you crumple that styrofoam cup like a little bitch. Yeah, that, or I was like, how would I redo the Chrissy Watkins morgue scene? How would I, would I go, yeah. would I turn on, you know. So this is what, ha- so this is what happens. <laughs> Who said this was a boat propeller? Look at those nails. Oh, Jesus. Oh my God. Anyway, so, no, there's that. But look, the movies that I want to see remade are the bad movies, mostly, for the yeah. most part. I don't think there's any reason to remake really good movies. Right. Like, there is every now and then there is that question of how would they have been able to pull that off if they had the technology they had today, which I think is the superficial question that drives many remakes. I right. think it drives many movies. Right. But there's something about... First of all, I'm aware, like any Jaws freak, that his original intention was to include all these scenes he couldn't include, and he storyboarded them as well, but he just didn't have the mechanical shark that could do it. So, yeah, there is part of me that wants to see that and wants to see how he would do it. You know, The reality is is that it took us way too long to realize that any sequel at all to Jaws is preposterous. It's preposterous. How are we supposed... Because it's not... I mean, they tried in the fourth one to give it this personality to say it was revenge. You know, Jaws the Revenge. The Jaws was now stalking an individual human family because it had killed so many of its relatives, you know? Right, exactly. Which which everybody knew was ridiculous, and that movie was a disaster as a result. But still, that opening scene where where Jaws, Mm -hmm. if you will, uh, does take out her last son... I remember seeing a preview of that on Entertainment Tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when me we too. come back or whatever, and it was pretty horrifying. It all takes place at night, and I remember the sound effects of sort of that guy's forearms being bitten off, right? Like every bone, every bone crunching, yeah. tendon tearing 
yeah. sound effect was in there. And I thought we were in for it with Jaws the Revenge. I thought they were actually just going to put everything aside and just go all sharky on us and it was going to be awesome. And then, they of didn't. course, I went. Yeah. They didn't. What did you think of Deep Blue Sea? Not much, although... Um, I like it more than any of the Jaws sequels. I here's think. the weird thing about Deep I have Blue a, Sea. I, I can get with Jaws 2. I actually thought Jaws 2 was was entertaining. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Jaws, interesting story. Jaws 2 was filmed largely um, in Navarre Beach, Florida, which is a panhandle community pretty close. Just It's on the same barrier island as Pensacola. Okay. And uh, you could, up until recently, take helicopter tours of of the locations that were used in that film. Almost none of it was filmed on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Right. In a new holiday. Well, I knew that, but up until recently, they were offering... Yeah. Helicopter okay, locations for how Jaws 2. How recently was I 13? Hold on. <laughs> 34. I guess it was not that recently. But it was pretty long after the movie came out. Right. right? The movie right. came out in like 77 or 78, the year I right. was born. And this was like the 90s when they were still advertising these tours. Right. But Cable Junction, I think, was yeah. built and put in the water there. The, the white sand dunes where Brody pulls yeah. over to find the, the burned body of the, uh, ski boat pilot. Correct. That, that was all. There's an enormous stretch of beach there that's government owned where it's just desolate. It's in between huh. Pensacola and Navarre. Okay. And it's a great location to shoot stuff on. It's also apparently great to have really big gay circuit parties on because there's one there. Hey, oh. They can run around naked and nobody will arrest them. But anyway. Huh. But so that's my big Jaws 2 connection. My big Jaws 2 connection is my buddy Mark Gilpin, who plays the youngest Brody son, Sean, mm. in that movie, the one who ends up hugging oh, really? the... You met yeah, Mark. Yeah, I met Mark. Is that... You didn't know? I didn't know, dude. Totally. That's amazing. He's yeah, the yeah. youngest Brody in Jaws 2, who ends up hugging the... Uh, Whatever that thing is that in its way looks like a shark fin when you it's, overturn a sailboat. The capsized sailboat. Yeah. He's, yeah. The, the symbolism there is real rich. It's an, yeah. mm, I like that. I'm down with that yeah, movie. No, I, and by the way, that yeah. John Williams score... Which mm-hmm. I just posted a cue of cue from on my, I think the closing credits music from on my Facebook page not so long ago. All about that John Williams score. Yeah, no problem great. with that. It's hard. That movie driven. exists in its own. It, it's it's its own thing. It doesn't have to be Jaws. It's right. it's evokes summer in a different way. You know. Well, it is much more informed by the sort of Friday the Thirteenth generation. It was let's put a bunch of kids out on these lasso yeah, and pick them off and have them pick them off one by yeah. one. And, yeah, And there's some genuinely terrifying shark moments. And the t- attack on totally. Tina and her boyfriend in that totally. Iceland boat is. I, I, yeah. I made my mom watch it, and she said it was the most disturbed she had ever been. Also, I'm going to get hyper nerdy on you here. Hyper, okay. hyper, hyper nerdy. Here's my thing on jaw on or one aspect of Jaws two that I find interesting is that. Much like, I can't believe I'm even going here, much like if given a choice between the original Death Star in Star Wars, <laughs> A New Hope, 1977, and so-called Death Star 2 in Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, 1983, I will always choose Star uh, Death Star 2 because half of it is unmade. Yeah, it's awesome. And it keeps dragging your eye back into it, that unmade, jaggedy mm-hmm. half versus the smooth half that has the finished weapon, the mm-hmm. dimple, the AT&T dimple, mm-hmm. um, is always, for me, more interesting than the original Death Star. I definitely so along know. those lines, Are you refer- I know what you're referring Jaws to. Jaws 2, right. at the end, when half the shark's face... It's much sooner or, than that. It is much sooner. It's, it's he attacks it the ski boat, and to defend herself, the ski boat pilot a, gets a gasoline can right, okay. and dumps it on the shark... And shoots a flare gun at it. Thereby. 
burning herself, Igniting but also herself. burning half of the shark's face. So Which for most makes of the, the movie more yeah, interesting. It is. It yeah. is a it's burn a shark. Now, I'm sure that was only put in there to cover up the fact that some grip accidentally backed into the mechanical shark. Yeah, three days one of seven filming. that they had or whatnot. Yeah. There's a, uh, a guy named Mike Schultz, uh, who I think is either in Missouri or Arkansas. You can look him up. Um, run a Google search. He is Shark City Ozark, and he makes hyper, hyper, hyper accurate reproductions of Bruce. Whoa. In varying scales, some of them very large and very expensive. He also does all sorts of other wow. Jaws-related we dioramas, had this including did, orca reproductions. He did do these. Wow. Remember, we, I and asked he's about moving that. now into Jaws 2. He's doing orca. If you want the shark from Jaws 3... If you want the specific variant Here's my on question. the shark from Jaws 4, Mike Schultz is your man. Wow. Okay, Inter- so internet are users. We, how big a group are we? we big. We, okay, we're big. Like, why don't we have a Jaws convention? There is one. There is. What? Jaws, Jaws, Jaws Fest. Fest. Where is it? Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard. Where else would it be? They just Jesus had one. Christ. I oh, and I think go. the one they just had... Is meant to be the last one. No. Yeah. Well, then that gets back to my original question. If we were a bigger, stronger group, it wouldn't be the last one of Jaws Fest. Now, come on. Why and is there no Jaws 2 it Fest? Would, it would be a yeah. subunit of... Jaws 2 Fest slash Gay Circuit Party Comic down in Con. Florida. That is the... They're, they're no, you should go on Facebook. Um, and, and for Jaws Fest, up Jaws credit, Fest. I can't... I don't think I could name five conventions that were specifically about one film in the entire world. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, another another Universal movie... That has its own con? Yes, not nearly as regular as Jaws Fest. I would say they happen every five years or so. But this is interesting, and it also sort of ties in with Twilight. Mm. Name another big... Name another uh, hugely popular, straightforward, just straightforward romance uh, that was made by Universal Studios... That has a a large and thriving, probably mostly female fan base that is religiously devoted to it, and many of whom can and will get on planes and fly across the country to attend conventions devoted to this film and to spend time with people who acted in various creative capacities on that film as well as spending time with each other. Do you know the movie? Airport 1975. No. Oh, damn. I would fly across the country to spend time with Karen Black. I really would. <laughs> uh, you don't have to. I don't have to. I could drive <laughs> down the street to see whatever play she's doing currently. Cohen? No idea. And this is actually, this would be an interesting uh, movie that would be ripe for remake, although it won't be my specific answer to the to uh, Debbie's remake question. This movie is somewhere in time. Uh, that makes sense. They have really? conventions Huge at the following. Universal Hilton or the Universal Sheraton. About every five years of women who are completely devoted and obsessed to, uh, obsessed with rather somewhere in time. Yeah. Based on a, the a very short good story of mine by Richard had her Matheson. Bridesmaids walk down the aisle to the somewhere in time theme at a by John very Barry. high Catholic wedding. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. My choice for remake would be a movie that I love when we get to tie it all together. My friend Taylor White and his organization, Creature Features, uh, who have been having a series of anniversary screenings. For about the last year or so, here at ArcLight Hollywood, yeah, they just did is, the um, they just did Harry and the Hendersons the last Baker, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're doing uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in Love the Cinerama Dome. Oh, really? When fourth quarter? But before they do that, he just announced, and you can look him up on uh, Facebook uh, under Creature Features. Uh, they just announced that they're doing 
my candidate for a movie that I would most like to see remade, which has been through so many directors, uh, also at Warner Brothers uh, over the course of many years, and is now the latest iteration is in place with um, Ryan Gosling and your director, pal. I know you're about to say uh, the movie is Logan's, Logan's Run, Run. Oh, which uh, Creature Features is showing in a quote brand new digital restoration, also in the Cinerama Dome. Perfect place to see that movie, mm-hmm. starring Michael York and Jenny Gutter. That will be September eighth at eight p.m. So, so that's your remake, Logan's Run. I, I, I would remake Logan's Run. Yeah, and I would be very interested in seeing Logan's Run as remade by the creative team Nicholas behind Nicholas Winding uh, Refn behind Drive. I would. I th- you said creature feature, and that I would remake them. Creature features. Yeah. No, the movie. Them. No, you said creature oh, you feature, was, and it made me think them. Of what the giant I, spider movie, or the giant ant ant movie. movie. Right. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where nothing about ant behavior in it is accurate. So you have the potential to actually do <laughs> accurate ant behavior. Is he was, having us on? What was the rabbit one? I can't one? tell. Night of the... What was the rabbit one? N- Night, Night of, of the, the Lepus. Lepus or Lepus? I don't know. It should be pronounced Lepus. the greatest line of any movie ever. The sheriff pulls up to the drive-in movie theater on a megaphone and says, we need your help. This is exactly what he says. A right. horde of giant killer rabbits are headed for the town. Please drive for the train tracks. <laughs> That's the line that he says to all these people at the drive-in movie theater. Now, what he doesn't explain <laughs> is the plan is to stun the rabbits with all the headlights in a row and then electrify the train. I'm giving away the ending of Night of the Lepus. Is it going to okay. be a big thing? Are you sure it's Lepus? It could be Lepus. I don't know how to. It's Night of the Lepus. All There's I know is the- that they could only show a corner of these giant rabbits <laughs> in one corner of the screen and then show an actual person. You know, it was like blue screen. Right. So there's like rabbit eye sort of staring at. <laughs> but I love that crap. I love those giant killer animal movies. Is it scarier than, than uh, Watership Down? Nothing, nothing, nothing scarier than Watership <laughs> Down. Jesus. Um, okay, we have another question from Allison Smith. You want Smith. to do my remake real quick? Oh, I'll give you. Um, or you don't give a shit. It's okay. I'll just say the movie. And we can I'm thinking it. about it. Hang on. No, I think it, it would be good for you to go, Matt Cohen. Uh, it's, just, it's something I've only seen for the first time in the last year, but I've been obsessed with remaking it since. Uh, it's Akira Kurosawa's High and Low. Okay. Uh, do you know what it's about? Nope. Um, millionaire. Have you seen this one? No, no, I haven't. No. Seen it. Millionaire. Here, Carousel like, started su- a slump. Super rich industrialist guy. Uh, owns like the biggest shoe company in Japan. Is about to buy another company and therefore become like the monopoly in the shoe industry in Japan. He's got like a million dollar check written out. Um, by doing this, he's gonna like fuck over his partners. He's a real scumbag of a guy. Right. Uh, he gives his driver the check to go drop it off. All of a sudden, the phone rings. I've got your son. The ransom is a million dollars. So the guy's immediately like, he was about to, this was going to change his life. He has, he only has a million dollars left. It's all his money. And all of a sudden, right. he thinks his son is missing. So he's like, it's my son. Forget it. Forget the company. Forget the business. Here's a million dollars. And right as he's about to say that, his son walks into the room and you realize the guy kidnapped the driver's son accidentally. So it's kind of this, uh, wow. it's all about a morality choice of does this guy now give up everything he worked for to save someone else's son? Huh. Some poor guy's son. That's interesting. It's really, really good. This screams Tyler Perry. Madia. Tyler Perry's high and low. <laughs> no, but it, it would be like L O L O. Tyler Perry's how to get high when you're a black girl getting low in the summer. <laughs> yeah, right. That's um, cool. 
Allison Smith, uh, who has been a great supporter of our podcast as well as of uh, Eric Odom's, wants specifically wants Chris Rice uh, to state his favorite movie. I think we've probably already covered the answer to that. Um, well, she also wants to know if you use an outline or let your characters control the story. I, you know, honestly, favorite movie is uh, is a tie neck and neck between Jaws and Empire of the Sun. You're kidding. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you want to disclose your interest in connection to Empire of the Sun? My cousin, Alan Davio, was the cinematographer for Empire of the That's Sun. That's D-A-V-I-A-U. He also shot E.T. the Extraterrestrial for Steven Spielberg. He did. He also shot The Color Purple for Steven Spielberg. He did. Yeah. He also shot Van Helsing for Steven Summers. <laughs> Like how I just rolled yes. right into that? He did. <laughs> he did. Yes. Uh, Empire of the Sun might be one of the most gorgeously photographed, certainly mm-hmm. of all the Spielberg movies, and that's saying something. Absolutely. But one of the most beautifully photographed movies that I've ever seen. Absolutely. Love and adore this, Empire this of the scene Sun. where he sees the aftermath, or I don't know if that's the right word for it, the halo of Hiroshima moving across the sky after Mrs. Victor has I died. I learned a new word today. I, right? Atom bomb. It just I Amazing. slayed me. Like Amazing. just slayed me. So those are the uh the outline question. I, I do outline up until a point. Uh what I prefer to do if I have the time and the environment is right and depending on who I'm working with is is obsessively revise. Right. I like to write really crappy first drafts and then do them over again. Writing is in the rewriting. Yeah. At writing least for is you. Rewriting. It is for me, someone, <laughs> someone of my low caliber. It absolutely is. New York Times bestselling novelist. New, New York Times bestselling Best-selling outliner. rewriter. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, this has been a great uh, episode, as yeah. fucking usual. Mm-hmm. Um, did we settle on a title? The title for what? Wasn't it gay, um, for the episode? Is it going to be? Is it going to be gay for pay? Is it going to be gay for pay? Swamp ass. My best friend Eric Shaw Quinn, <laughs> or log rolling. I like. <laughs> it's tough. Eric will Cohen, be so pissed if I don't pick. You put me in a terrible position because Eric will listen to this in about three or four months. Should we? And should we put that? <laughs> My best friend Eric Shaw Quinn. Yeah, let's but do we've got to get it right, Cohen. We've got to get it right. Okay. E R I C E R I C, like the drag queen spelling. S H A W spelling. S H A W like Robert Shaw from Robert Jaws. Shaw from Jaws. Quint. Quinn Q U I N N. It's it. a Jaws connection. It's not it Quint, so don't get confused. But it is like my a Jaws best friend, Eric Eric Shaw, Shaw Quinn. Quinn. Absolutely, two N's. Well, we've got the spelling. I know I'm going to be sending you a text. No, that's cool. I can listen to you. Will be my correct for spelling. The Dinner Party Show dot com, where you can go and register to crush Jack's podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. The Dinner Party Show dot com. Yeah, it's a placeholder website, but it's it's where people can sign up to be on our email list. Okay. For, so when we launch in a few months, we'll send out a blast. Also on Twitter, Chris Rice Writer on Twitter. And uh, any, anyone can subscribe to my public updates on Facebook, which are mostly my tweets, but with some longer stuff. Um, which is a Facebook, I've gone all public Facebook, on Facebook. But the, is it still your personal page or your fan page? I was given the option of combining my fan page and my personal page. From who? From Facebook. Nice. And, and, but the only choice was to move it all to, to, was to convert my fans, quote unquote, into subscribers to my public updates. Right. And so that's what I've done. And it's, there've been some hiccups here and there and people were sort of unfriended, but I've had to explain to people again and again, you're getting everything. There's no like, on Facebook, there's no inner circle. Like, right. I'm, all of my status updates are public. So if you subscribe to me, you get it all. 
That's interesting. Or if you, if they follow you, you right. get it all too, because all of your fake Facebook posts probably auto convert to tweets like mine do, don't they? They do not, but I've thought about doing that. But the tweets go to Facebook, but maybe I'll do it. See, I won't time. let the, I will not let the, uh, and it's, it's, it's wheels within wheels, as, uh, Ryan Brookhart once said. It all, it all ties together and that CNN had a story today because of the, uh, drought in middle America, the Mississippi river levels have fallen so low now that down in what is it? Plackerman's parish, Plackerman's parish, Plackerman, yeah. Louisiana, mm-hmm. the Gulf of Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Is I only have paid, paid attention to the story as you can tell. <laughs> it started to seep up, up the river. So the salinity levels, the level of salt mm. in the Mississippi River is now rising mm. close to the mouth of the river. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, I will not let my tweets flow back up the river onto my <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> my Facebook page is the is a is a mighty river that flows one way. I it goes really down to Twitter and auto auto converts to tweets. You were gonna take this in the direction of, and this is why Jaws five can be sat in New Orleans. I'm Irish, as are you. Yeah. Everything goes to poop. Yeah, eventually. everything goes to poop and death. <laughs> <laughs> Poop and death. Um, do you do you have a an official website? ChristopherRiceBooks.com. And is there is there anything else? You hanging on hanging on to that it's Friendster really, page? I'm doing everything on <laughs> no. I never was on Friendster, and I did MySpace for about five minutes. Right. I do everything on social media. I mean, people ask me to update. People I work with ask me to update my site. I'm like, it's all Facebook and Twitter right now. Right. And then it will be the DinnerPartyShow.com. It will be not only the place where I stream my radio show, but it'll be you know, one-stop shop for all sorts of things, you know. I have one more question for you. Yes. Along the lines of writers, authors, novelists, Facebook, Twitter, erotica, I'm going to tie it all together. Ah. Do you know Brett Easton Ellis? Uh, We're nodding acquaintances at the gym. Do you follow him on Twitter? I I have followed what he, I have been made aware of his more incendiary tweets. You know, have, you, have you been aware of his campaign to become the screenwriter for the movie adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm aware that it failed. Yeah, okay. Are you aware that he got spit on in a fucking Gelson? I was something? aware what? of that. Too. Do you not know yes. about that? No. Mal- Malcolm posted it was an advocate fucking article after he had made the comments about a dude from Kyle X Y. Not no, Matt no, Matt Bomer. Okay, I don't white know. collar, white okay, collar, Matt, Matt Bomer, Bomer. Yeah. openly okay. gay Matt Bomer. Yes, openly gay Matt Bomer, who my uh, mother is in love with. He said that he could never play the Christian gay character, so a bunch of gay dudes spit on him in the supermarket. Apparently, okay. What? Here's the deal. Here's the deal with this story. Okay, what happened was he tweeted that he had been spit on. Uh, by pavilions in West Hollywood. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. WeHo Daily. Was, Wait, is that the exact oh, tweet? Daily. I was exactly. spit on by was, pavilions? No, I was spit on near At pavilions. pavilions. Near, near pavilions. Near the free HIV testing center near pavilions, which is in my neighborhood. That's all he tweeted, right? Right. WeHo Daily retweeted it, and they tweet like, purse snatching at Havenhurst and Willoughby. Right. You know, WeHo um, Daily. Angry queen yelling at the cops. They monitor right. the police scanners is what they do. But anyway, right. they retweeted this thing, so the advocate picked it up. I have not been presented with any conclusive proof that this was anything other than a crazy homeless dude who spit on him. Right. But people immediately assumed that it was a response to the fact that he... That he you know, declared that Brett Easton Ellis, who is also openly gay, correct? I believe he's openly bisexual, but currently just living with a boyfriend. Yeah. With a boyfriend yeah. who he refers to as boy. the 22-year-old. The 22-year-old. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Brett Easton Ellis for I, I am I'm always the boring guy, which is part of the hosting job. I'm always the boring guy who provides context for <laughs> listeners out there who might be going, <laughs> who might have just finished chopping wood and are yeah. now going, what the fuck, Brett? How many names does anybody need? I know, right? Those faggots need. <laughs> they always need three. <laughs> um, Brett Easton Ellis. You you may you may or may not know him by name, but you definitely know his works. He is a Los Angeles based novelist and has been since the mid 1980s. The author of Less Than Zero, which is considered a classic Less by many Zero, modern American Less Than Zero, American Psycho, American Rules, Psycho, of Psycho Rules of Attraction, Glamorama, which was made into a film starring Lunar James Park. Vanderbeek. Uh, yeah, and has a big old Twitter following. A big Twitter following. I mean, look, I think the story here is whatever he's doing in that universe, in the universe of Twitter, it's working. Well, you know, you know what he's doing in the universe of Kickstarter as well, right? No, I don't know what he's doing. He has teamed up with uh, Paul, the director, Paul Schrader. Yes. Who's also the screenwriter, Paul Schrader, who right. wrote most famously Taxi Driver mm-hmm. and Raging Bull. Autofocus. <laughs> well, yes, that. Um, most famously it was autofocus. But they're trying, they're, they took, the two of them took to Kickstarter to try and get an independent film financed called the canyons. the canyons. I didn't know it was a Kickstarter It's project. a Kickstarter thing, and I have no idea where that fundraising appeal sits at present as as to whether or not they're going to get that project together. But, I mean, Brett Easton Ellis, for me, less than zero, both the movie, eminently flawed as it is, uh, although it does contain an absolutely fucking magnificent Thomas Newman's early Thomas Newman score, mm. as well as a phenomenal performance by Robert Downey Jr., which is mm-hmm. not paled. Um, I actually went back and read the novel recently. It's a really, really good novel. And for anybody interested in Los Angeles and or Los Angeles in the eighties, which I totally am, is sort of the definitive novel of this city in that time. Mm-hmm. He also did a movie. He did a novel called The Informers, which was turned into an independent, super low budget movie maybe five years ago. That have you seen, Chris Rice? I have not seen it. You no. should watch The Informers. Okay, trust me on this recommendation. It's a has a lot of sort of characters across the, um, I can't remember whether it's the movie is actually placed in the same period as the novel was written, mm-hmm. which I think is also the 1980s, but has an unbelievably, not dissimilar from less than zero has an unbelievably bleak ending mm. that will stick with you. Mm-hmm. Trust me on this recommendation, Chris Rice. Okay. The I Informers. will put it on my list. Just get the, the Informers. DVD. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has, led a uh, very loud, a very noisy Twitter campaign to get the screenwriting gig on Focus and Universal's adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey. And he, he was dropped from the list, the short list. But look, everything he's been doing on if, Twitter for I mean, a while now. I mean, how know, you know? His tweets for a while now have been incendiary. I mean, he said that every time he watched an episode of Glee, he felt like he had stepped in a puddle of HIV. Wow. You know, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, in, it's one of those things where I'm But all he has for, always been about, if you look at American Psycho or the, yeah. he has always been about attracting attention through incendiary words, yeah. right? Right. And you know, like. Much like yourself. Well, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 I, no, no, not like I'm that. I'm a milk toast. I, I have, you know, I'm trying, I, and there's in a way I envy him because he clearly doesn't care about the response. You know, yeah. and I, I think that's a genuinely authentic and maybe laudable position to have. If you're gonna, there's so much inauthenticity in social media. If somebody can really get out there and say what they actually think, right. you know, I sometimes have a problem. I'll get back the Chick-fil-A thing. I got such backlash from, Tweets which I thought were rather 
uh, well, they were pretty provocative, but I don't know. I guess it is name calling to call someone a bigot. I, with me, it overwhelms me, like, and it distracts me from what I really want to do. So if somebody can get out there and really just be who they are, right? You know, I think we all have the right to disagree with them, and we can tweet back. But I I don't necessarily agree with campaigns to silence them. Yeah, you know, I think I don't uh, don't agree with them. You know, I, I don't feel that way when I watch Glee. Yeah. You still watch Glee? Uh-huh. I, yeah. Cohen? No. You're religious about it. Cohen, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, really? a, I'm a giant I hear Greek. they're doing a fish episode. I, I can't season, wait for so. that. Oh, Lord. Wouldn't that be yeah. great if all the Greek kids took I mushrooms? I would and just, be surprised. <laughs> no, there was actually that. a great episode where the, the – it started out real dark and real edgy. It wasn't – it's one of those the shows – show? Well, it's like Modern Family. When it started, it wasn't wildly popular, so they weren't trying to appeal to everyone. Like, Modern Family's first few episodes were some of the funniest things I ever saw on television, and now it's the family show for America, and it always has a sweet ending, and it's like, ugh, give me a break. Um, And Glee really, like, Glee's pilot, I thought, was so dark and edgy, I didn't know if I was going to be able to hang in, and I'm, you know, that's saying something. Right. And then it really, I think it hit its stride in the second half of the first season where it kind of found its voice, but... You know, I I don't know. I, I think it's hard to get attached to TV shows, right. particularly long running ones, because when the showrunner leaves, everything changes. It all He's shifts. Still run, Ryan Murphy is still running Glee, from what I understand. I heard he left to do American Horror Story, and then he's sort of gone back to try to get it back on track. But... There's a third show too. Is there that he's oh, doing? My understanding yeah. is that he is. Sitcom yeah. about the gay guys. I met somebody who adopted who a kid. Is, let's just yeah. say in the room. With him, and mm-hmm. my understanding is he is he is actively running all three shows. Oh, that, I, which see, is I don't insane. know how writers do that. It's like Greg Berlanti just three hours I don't a night. know how they do all that work. Like I have yeah. a hard enough time on one novel. Yeah, exactly. TV is brutal. It's a big boy's job. It's a yeah. big girl's job. All right, I guess that's a wrap. Um, look for us on Facebook. Look for us teamjack.com. We're on Tumblr. We're on Pinterest. We have now illustrated episode guides. Man. At team underscore Jack on Twitter, at Jack underscore Morrissey with two R's and two S's. And uh, look for me on Facebook as well as I have not been given the opportunity to fuse any of my many I'll hook you up, Karkoff One accounts. I'll hook you up. But I accept all comers on Facebook now, yeah. as I do in uh, the bedroom. Just kidding. Yeah. Hey, oh. Um, that's it. All right. Get the episode title right, Cohen. And now we're off to Chris Hogue's brilliant, uh, Closing theme music. Uh, we'll see you next week. Out. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Seven days a week, Smodco Internet Television pumps out new content like a porn star. 
On Mondays, Comic Head pummels you with profanity-laden comic book reviews. Tuesdays, Smarkive takes you into the Wayback Machine with great moments in Smistery. Wednesday, Jay flexes his journalistic prowess with Muse News. Thursday, things get animated with the Smodco Cartoon Show. Friday, Kevin and Jen bring you the morning show and tell straight from their living room. Saturday, relive a hilarious clip from Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. And Sunday, Kevin Ralph goes Holly Weird on Bit O Babble. Smodco Internet Television. Bookmark us, bitch. YouTube.com slash CSmod.